As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Down the block, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle and one. Gerald, welcome on, mate. How are we? Awesome. Very good. Uh, it's good to be here. Thanks for having us. Mate, you've obviously started a new journey recently. You're, you're into radio now. How's it treating you? Oh, love it. Head for radio, so it fits perfect. Uh, I know they say that a lot, people, but um, this one does fit perfect for me. And yeah, it can't shut me up half the time, so it's a, it's, a, it's a perfect fit. Mate, obviously with radio, there's a lot of time slots. I hear people say they're on radio. And uh, I mean, being on radio at one time or other times, it can be an absolute nightmare depending where you are. What, uh, what slot have you got? No, well, I, I started last year in a, a small capacity, uh, a little sports segment uh, at a country radio station up here in Brisbane and uh, was fortunate enough to move into the drive show uh, towards the back end. Uh, and then fortunately for myself, I've, I've been doing pretty good in radio. So now I've got my own brekkie show <laughs> So in the space of a year of, um, yeah, I've gone pretty quickly, but it's a, uh, it's a very enjoyable uh, industry to be in. Uh, and if you're good at it, um, you can, you can uh, make some good money along the way as well. A couple of hash browns on the way in, in the morning. <laughs> oh, mate, look, trying to stay away from the hash browns. Uh, up early, uh, sausage and egg McMuffins, more more along uh, my, my go, but uh, trying to stay away from those because I know how hard it is to stay fit when you finish rugby league. <laughs> oh, those hashies, they don't miss you, brother. They do not miss <laughs> you, mate. Not. Obviously, uh, uh, you're, you're a rocky boy yourself. Take me back to your childhood. Uh, you know, how, how, how was it like growing up there? 
Yeah, look, uh, family grew up in Emu Park, so not in the not in the heart of Rockhampton, uh, on the coast. Uh, a lot of people that are from up that way will be will say it's a it's a little bit more, uh, I think, down to earth in uh, on the coast, not far from Yapoon, where sort of uh, Benny Hunt grew up as well. So, funny thing is, we didn't really know each other at all. I was a little bit older than him, so he went to Brendan's. I actually moved to Brisbane uh, for school and everything like that. So, yeah, back and forth. Uh, a lot when I was a young fella in uh, Rock Vegas, mate. And um, <laughs> Rock was, Vegas, uh, how good's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll ask a, you'll ask a lot of rock people from Rocky. It's what we call it, Rock Vegas, because uh, you can only go there for a short amount of time and you don't last too long. <laughs> what happens there stays there. I'm guessing. Hundred percent. No, it's a beautiful part of the world. And uh, look, in the in the past, uh, obviously, it's 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 really developed some great rugby league players as well. So to be a part of some of that illustrious uh, group is, is wonderful. So um, yeah, moved to Brisbane when I was a uh, young fella though, and um, had an opportunity to uh, go to school down here uh, and grandparents lived here as well with my, with my, my single mother and my little brother. So um, yeah, look, great times back in Emu Park, but uh, I'd probably, I'd probably say that uh, I'm a bit more of a city slicker now. Mate, obviously the name Yao Yao, I mean, uh, not very common in rugby league, but you did have an uncle that played years ago. I believe he played for the Balmain Tigers, is that right? Correct. Um, he played for the Dirty Redcliffe Dolphins as well um, back in the day. Uh, he was uh, he was very well known to play a lot of footy with Arthur Beetson. Mm. And um, uh, my grandfather told me a lot about him. Uh, obviously, my grandfather knew and watched him uh, play a lot of rugby league. And uh, yeah. What I heard, and actually, I got a, I got a f- bit of footage of Tim Sheens when I was in the squad for the Aussie squad. I was in a, uh, I was lucky enough that Tim Sheens has obviously been at the Tigers for a, for a long period of time, and he gave me a bit of footage and showed me just how electrifying he was. So if I wasn't nervous enough about trying to live up to my expectations, you know, that made it a bit harder. But uh, yeah, he, he, look, he's a he was a class act. Unfortunately, he passed away at a very young age, um, you know, and uh, look, I just try to do my best to, to uh, keep that legacy alive in, in my family. Mate, from what I've heard, he uh, he definitely lived fast, though. He did live very, very fast. I've got a story about him, actually. Uh, he's uh, <laughs> it's a good one. My, my grandfather said that, uh, obviously, back in the day, and um, dark fellas and black fellas, the coppers and that didn't get along that much. <laughs> so uh, he used to like to uh, do a little bit of shit stirring and uh, stand at the front of the copper station. And when they'd come out and try and get him, he was way too quick. So he'd, <laughs> he'd take off <laughs> and they wouldn't be able to catch him. Uh, so that was a, that was a funny story, but yeah, look, he's, he he did a lot uh, in a short amount of time uh, at Redcliffe. I I heard a story of him running the full full length of the field off a kickoff as well, and just yeah, he was lightning. So uh, I don't know if I was that fast, but uh, yeah, tried my best. Mate, it all sounds bloody familiar. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, look, I tried my best. Um, I think that was a, a big big part of my life you know trying to live up and uh, not trying to just live in that expectation but i wanted to keep the yeah your name very proud mate i mean you, you you did that without a doubt and um i mean coming through that brisbane system i i heard a rumor that you actually ended up at a sydney club first is that true it's very true. Uh, I actually had a chat to Sturlo not too long ago about this. He was pretty filthy and um, that uh, I wasn't kept down there at Parramatta. Uh, I was uh, picked up by uh, 
none other than Rod Reddy um, at Parramatta, and uh, we all know how much of a legend he is. Uh, I was uh, lucky enough to go down and play a little bit of Eshi ball and um, stuff like that uh, during uh, the year, and I was built it out down there for a for a fair while in 2007. Um, but a lot of that doesn't really get brought up too much. Um, unfortunately, Rocket, you know, not gave me the boot, but uh, he just said, look, mate, unfortunately you won't play first grade here. We don't think you play first grade here at this club. That doesn't mean you're going to go on and do nothing. We just don't think that you'll, um, you'll, you'll, you'll do it here. They had, and to be honest, Parramatta, we all know what uh, their juniors are like. They had some amazing uh, talent coming through uh, there. Albert Kelly was there at the time when I was coming through um, as well. So, you know, uh, he was someone who I sort of latched onto when I was there because just being an Indigenous boy. But I always find it interesting when you're talking about the Parramatta and the Penrith system. Obviously, the juniors, they've got so much talent that, you know, it tends to quite often be the story. The guys that do get cut that, you know, they're not far off being that top talent, but quite often it can just give them that little boost, that little bit of, you know, I'm going to show you. And quite often they do kick on. Did you have that feeling? 100%. I think, um, you know, no, being being a young Indigenous boy myself and uh, knowing how hard it was to just back back when I was growing up, still it was a little bit tough growing up around. I didn't have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, black fellas, I suppose, growing up around me. So, you know, I was behind the eight ball, um, so to speak, straight away. And, yeah, look, I, I hated losing, to be honest. And, um, you know, getting told that I think it, it sort of passed down from my teachers, you know, at some stage saying, you know, You've got to be better. You're not going to be anything if you're not better at school and, and stuff like that. I wasn't a bad kid at school. I just wasn't the brightest kid at school, um, like most of us rugby league I pay players, rent there. Don't worry. <laughs> 100%. Um, but, yeah, it did. It spurred me on to to want to, uh, you know, take off and not just be a rugby league player, but uh, show, you know, show them that I, I can be something successful if, if it wasn't footy. Now, mate, I believe your your first contract that you did sign with Brisbane, um, mate. I, I, I've heard, I've heard a rumored number. I, I almost can't believe it's true. Was it a thousand dollar contract? Yeah, bargain, absolute bargain. Um, you can man, walk around the streets of Brisbane and find more, brother. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, I've seen buskers have more money on the weekend there in Brisbane. But yeah, look, Pete Nolan was the one that picked me up at the Broncos, and uh, he's a very good negotiator. And to be honest, <laughs> it was. Um, it was. It wasn't really the money for me. It was an opportunity, and that's all I needed. Uh, I only really needed one chance to to to, uh, to to take that opportunity. And I was lucky enough that man. I had some great footy players around me at the time. So um, yeah, the thousand dollars really wasn't um, something I didn't care about. I did what any young fellow did, and I went and bought a Xbox 360 and a plasma screen TV. My <laughs> mum wasn't too happy about that. <laughs> Oh, how good's that, mate? Obviously, uh, you mentioned your good mate before, Benny Hunt, a guy that I think uh, gets treated very poorly in our game. I think he gets a lot of unfair uh, criticism, in my opinion. But I do remember that. I think it was the 2008 season, mate. You two in the Toyota Cup. It was, it was like you were separated at birth. It was like, like <laughs> you guys could just, I don't know. It's like you were just in sync on every single play. It was incredible. Yeah, look, you're giving me goosebumps when you say that because that's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it felt like for me and him. Um, we were inseparable uh, away from training as well. We were. Uh, I was at his house every weekend. I was sleeping over. Um, and I think this day and age, it's really hard to find that bond you uh, you have with your teammates. I mean, you know, a lot of uh, 
and I'm not speaking for all footy players, but I, look, I'd say a majority like to go to work and call it work and, and go home and, and, and that's it. But for me, it was a lifestyle uh, playing footy. It was everything to me. And me and Ben um, still, not only just then, but we still have a very, very close uh, relationship as friends. And um, I just don't know what it was about that 2008 year. Uh, I scored 27 tries in 27 games and 23 of them were off Benny's uh, assists. So it just showed what type of footy player he was. But also, um, you know, I got to give myself a bit of credit. I knew, I just knew when he was going to kick it. I just knew when he was going to pass it. I knew when he was going to go through. So we just had that very special connection that I think it's very hard to find in rugby league these days. And mate, it was something I was going to talk about later, but um, you know, I'm sure you do a heap of these interviews and people ask you about, you know, the, the kicks, the regathers, the sidesteps, all that. For me, I remember watching you and the thing that stood out to me was your kick chase. And, um, I imagine, you know, when, when I have halves on the podcast, they talk about how important the kick chase is. I had um, I had Brent Sherwin on and he just said, you know, a kick is only as good as its chase. And, you know, I haven't asked you yet, but I'm interested here. What sort of an emphasis did you have on your kick chase game? Because it's, it's something that's extremely underrated in our game for me. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, look, I didn't really know how... Um good I was doing it at the time I think uh, I think when Lockie uh, sort of was you know giving me those tip offs I think Ben actually it would have been when I started in 20, uh, 2008 with Ben and um, it was actually Anthony Griffin who gave me the tip off of you know we we need to chase these kicks it was very strict on penalties so you would rarely actually I don't even know if I ever gave a penalty away for being offside and uh, I think that was a, a big one because I, we tend to take the foot off the pedal I think in this day and age we we like to take a shortcut or two and I really prided myself on uh, making sure that I I wasn't making those plays uh, in an illegal position so uh, yeah once I once I just found that groove of I knew when people were kicking the ball it was hard to it was hard to stop that um, yeah it just it just becomes something that I just got so good at and uh, when I got to grade uh, Lockie was very huge, big on it as well and I become close with him and my other my other good mate my redheaded mate Peter Wallace was uh, was also a very big advocate of it as well and him being a left side player uh, he would always like to run around to the right hand side and put kicks to the right so um, yeah those things that I didn't realize that were the one percenters at the time really probably built who I was as a, as a, as a player um, in rugby league. Mate, a little bit off topic, but a, a couple of names you mentioned there, obviously uh, Hawk, Anthony Griffin, uh, Ben Hunt, I know Corey Norman, Andrew McCulloch, they're all down there in Wollongong at the moment. Are you filthy you didn't get a bait to the reunion party or what? I, I actually just got off the phone to Hook um, just before we jumped on here. We're still very good mates. And um, yeah, it's funny how things go in full circle, isn't it? Uh, I know that um, a lot of people, like you said, have bagged <laughs> the dragons and have said they're gonna they're gonna do bad. But um, I just want people to to realise that when we first played in under twenties in two thousand eight, and I know this is not a an NRL comp, but we took at least three weeks in that two thousand and eight year to to really uh, adjust to Hook's tactics, and we got towed our first game. Um, we got absolutely it was a shellacking against the Roosters. They, in the, even in the trials, the New Zealand Warriors um, put us to bed by a lot. And uh, there's a lot of pressure 
you know, people putting pressure on Hook, but because of the charity shield. But I've, I see a lot of similarities in what's happening, and I see a lot of similarities in a lot of players struggling to adapt to what he's done um, right now at the Dragons. They're one game in. Um, I think they're going to be uh, more than okay. And he's left, obviously, a, a club like Penrith uh, in fourth place when he got shafted there as well. So, look, we we, we tend to forget about these things as fans. Um, we like to put people on a pedestal and um, and roast them as much as possible. But uh, I've got full faith in, in 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 Hook, and not only because he's my mate, because I know how good of a coach he is. He's he's a very very diligent coach, and he'll make sure that everyone's putting in their effort to make sure they're uh, they're going to be at the end of the business end of the season looking good. Tell me this, mate, about Hook. Uh, I mean, every coach every year they get to a period where, well, most coaches anyway, they lose two or three on a trot. Uh, when the pressure is going to be on Hook, what sort of a bloke is he then? When uh, you know, when, when his back's against the wall, they've lost two and a three in a, in a row. How does Hook change from three weeks earlier? Like, what 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 sort of a bloke can we expect there? I don't think you do see any change, and that's the thing about Anthony. Um, you know, he's he's what you see is what you get, and I'm sure that the border, the Dragons, know that. Uh, I think they're probably very aware of um, who Anthony is as a guy because, uh, yeah, like I said, he's he's uh, he's a person who's not going to change his demeanour from from results. He's just going to stick to what he knows and stick to uh, his recipe. And look, if the players buy into it, that's that's the biggest thing because um, having that outside noise is 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 another thing. I mean, just shut all that out. I mean, what happened to the good old days just to go out there and play? you know, play footy and enjoy yourself. I think that's what you lose uh, in this game. We talk about money a lot and um, I think I think it's, you know, bullshit to be honest. I think, yeah, just go out there. Trust the process. Um, sounds a little bit cliche, but, yeah, trust in your coach and, and, and what the stuff he's brought on board. And um, i got no doubt that his tactics are amazing. And if they do, uh, I, I think they'll go a long way, the Dragons. Mate, take me to 2009. You obviously make your first grade debut. Uh, I believe it's the first game of the 2009 season. Uh, a pretty big stage. Brisbane taking on the Cowboys. Uh, rivalries, they don't get much bigger than that. Tell me about the week leading up to it, mate. How, did, like, how far out did you know that you were uh, making your debut then? Yeah, well, at the time, um, we, you know, we talk about Hook. Hook was the assistant coach at the time. Um, and Ivan Henjak was actually the coach at the time. So uh, it was a pretty nerve-wracking week, week uh, because coming having a full preseason in first grade from under-20s um, aside was, was, was scary enough. Uh, you've got the likes of you know, the persons, people I spoke of before, Darren Lockyer, Justin Hodges, Sam Thiede, Corey Barker, um, Joel Clinton, Peter Wallace, uh, Carmichael Hunt. I mean, <laughs> the side that we had in that 2009 was uh, pretty special. And, you know, we were pretty lucky we'd go on to go to the prelims that year and just fall short. But, uh, yeah, leading up the week was um, – Look, I think I wish I enjoyed it a little bit more. I think a lot of, um, you know, young kids um, probably don't really understand how big it is. You sort of just go about your day and you just sort of just be normal as a, you're a kid, you know, I'm, I was what, 19 years old. So I didn't know right from wrong at that time. I, I, I just, 
I just thought it was another footy game. Um, but telling, I think the biggest part was, you know, telling my mum and my grandparents because, the, you know, the, the amount of work, and, and any footy player would say this, about the amount of work they have to put in, um, you know, juniors, the fees, the getting us to training, to, to getting us to games, um, all that leads up to that one moment. And that's probably one of the most special things you get to do is, is, is tell your parents that, you know, all that hard work's paid off. You know, me whinging all the time about getting new boots every weekend and you having to fork out the money. Um, it's all worth it because, you know, I'm going to play in front of 55,000 on the weekend um, in a Broncos jersey. So, yeah, that was, it was pretty special. Pretty, like incredible stuff there. And, of course, we see the Brisbane Broncos nowadays when someone's making their debut, uh, they do the they score a try at training, they do the celebration. Tell me about the moment that the rest of the side found out that you were making your debut when you first got your jersey. I imagine that squad, that would have been a pretty close punch up there. It was. It was. It was a very close bunch. Um, I was actually lucky enough to debut uh, with one uh, other wing, and that was in, in uh, um Antonio Winnerstein as well. Uh, so that was a pretty special moment for both of us being two rookies wingers, two rookie wingers against, um, uh, I was up uh, against, oh, actually, I can't remember who I was up against now. That's that's terrible. I should remember that. Um, but um, yeah, it was a special moment because I can't remember. Who, oh, no, I think I think um, Lockie gave us our jersey. So, you know, knowing. Gee whiz, you know, how's that? Yeah, so that was a pretty special moment. And like I said before, you don't, really take that in until you step back away from the game like now and you know me saying that to you now is yeah it feels special to even even have said that to say that Darren Lockyer gave me my debut jersey so yeah yeah it's the culture um when I came through uh was was second to none uh it was it just felt like the Broncos of of old and um it made me feel good that I was a part of that and, and going to be a part of special something special for, for a lot of years to come. Mate, you mentioned Lockie giving you your first grade jersey. He also handed you your first try. It was a pretty awkward little one, though, wasn't it? Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It was. Um, yeah, look, he's he's a special guy. Uh, it was, it was always going to be special like that. So, uh, he's a special guy. Anything he does, you know, we've, we've watched him over the years and, um, how many, how many times at clutch moments he's, he's done things. So, um, that was handy to be able to, to get that from, from, uh, Daryl. I like to call him Daryl because, uh, we all, I don't know if a lot of people know. I mean, if they listen to the Broncos podcast in the last couple of years, they would know that Daryl's the alter ego. Uh, when he gets on the piss, he uh, becomes someone else. But haven't seen that bloke in a while. Um, I'd like to see him soon. So, Daryl, if you ever listen to this, um, bring him back, please. <laughs> Mate, I have heard Daryl does some serious damage. Daryl is far from good for Darren from what I've gathered. Yeah, that's probably why he's put him uh, away in the closet, mate, and he hasn't come out. I'm sure his wife, Law, uh, would be very happy that he is not around anymore because I still remember times uh, where we'd go uh, back to his house after, uh, you know, a piss up and Law would be like, not again. But 
yeah, you know, that, that, those moments where just as good as playing on the field, mate, you know, we got to drink a lot of his Grange, which he probably regrets now because I didn't have a clue what Grange was. Um, <laughs> but you enjoyed it at the time. Mate, Daryl's uh, lucky not to get Darren on the side of milk cartons just quietly. <laughs> oh, definitely. I've seen, look, there's been times where I've seen, I thought he was going to be. <laughs> Mate, um, I, I dropped a podcast last week. I, I do one one a week where I go into a player and talk about uh, whether they should be an immortal of rugby league. And I had Darren Lockyer last week. And for me, I cannot see how he can possibly miss being in that club. Where do you sit on it? Look, I don't know how the – I'm not sure, and you might be able to help me on this, but I don't know how they judge, you know, being immortal. I don't think they know how they judge it. Yeah, So, and that's the other thing. I think that's that's one thing because, look, we've we've probably passed time where we've we've gone, you know, that that bloke should be that. Darren Lockyer, uh, an immortal – we, he wouldn't even be in this conversation if we don't think he's immortal. I mean, if there's a if there's a question about it, we would be having a question saying, oh, I don't know if he's going to be. But you put anyone in this situation, and he's definitely an immortal. Uh, the things that he does on the footy field is, is, is was amazing. Uh, not not only from you know a club level, but at a state level and um, at a you know at a national level as well. The things that he's done are second to none. So to say that Darren Lockyer, you know, who, who the people say that he may not be immortal, I think that's I think it's bullshit. I think I think Lockyer has done everything, and you know what? He's a very humble person. He wouldn't he won't care. But, uh, you know, from, from someone who's stepped, been in the game and a fan now, uh, if he's not an immortal, there is, there, there's probably something wrong with the system. Mate, you mentioned being a fan there, and I imagine that night, even though, you know, you would have trained with Darren for a couple of years now, I'm sure being on the same field as him would have been some, something different. And I imagine, mate, when you looked over the other side of the park, being a proud Indigenous man yourself, seeing Jonathan Thurston on the other side, like, mate, it, it must have been a challenge for whose uh, autograph you asked for first, just quietly. Well, look, it's funny you say that. Uh, you know, I, I actually didn't know how good JT was until I got probably a couple of years into my uh, career because, you know, as a footy player, as a young fella, you know, I just got to worry about my job. But as you as you get on and you understand the game a little bit more professionally, you you really look deep into the things he does on the field. Uh, you get to watch him off the ball as a, an opponent and you see how hard he works off the ball. Um, you, you know, you get to play with him. Uh, you know, and I played with him at both levels at Origin and for Australia and how hard he works uh not only at um, on the field, but at training as well. So, yeah, it was it was something special to be, even be able to say that, yeah, that I I have played against that bloke because when I was coming through, he was arguably the best player in the world uh, at times. And you know that's a pretty handy uh, you know accolade to have when you got Cameron Smith running around, you got you know Darren Lockyer running around, um, you know so not just to stick to the Queenslanders, but I'm pretty biased. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he was, he, he's a superstar and he's probably another guy that you put in that conversation as well. Well, mate, he's a guy to me that for his entire, whatever it was, 16-year career, he looked in total control. There was about eight seconds during his career where I felt like he wasn't in control and it was the night where you were corkscrewing him. You must give him a, a bit of stick about that. Oh, look, I... 
Only when I get on the piss because it's only <laughs> when I got time. It's only when I got time we got the balls to say it to him because he still is a he still is a you know he still is a guy I look up to. So yeah, look that night was. Oh, I get asked about this a little bit, and I just don't know how to explain moment um, because I don't usually surprise myself, but I did surprise myself that night. And the, the way I see it is, uh, he put a bad kick in. I just caught a lucky ball, and it finished with um, him stuffing up. So <laughs> that's the way I see it. It was a, it was a special moment for me. And uh, look, if I don't score that try, I probably lose a lot of confidence as a young player. So that probably you know, really kicked me into orbit and, and where I wanted to go in my rugby league career. It's sort of, man, it's always a thing in rugby league. If someone's defending you and you can see the number on their back, like yeah. they know they're in serious Barney rubble, don't they? Yeah, well, look, I, I think he really thought I was going to take him on down the sideline, but he must think I'm really silly um, because, uh, I, you know, when I got to that stage in my, in my career, uh, it was. It wasn't all about um, my stats. It was how 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 you put on a show as well. So Townsville Friday night. I mean, Mad Cow afterwards. Surely I've got to put on a show. <laughs> Cannot miss. <laughs> Mate, um, obviously that team that you came into, uh, you know, we'll talk more about it later, but obviously your career was cut short. Um, you know, you're quite often mentioned in that sentence, you know, could have been anything. Uh, and, mate, I was looking through this team list. I mean, there's a couple of guys here that I feel like would have been superstars. We just didn't see the very best out of them. we got yourself. We've got Israel Folau, we've got Dave Taylor, and we've got one of my favourite players ever, Carmichael Hunt. Uh, mate, I, I want to ask you about one of them. It is Carmichael. I I look at the way that Carmichael came through. I was devastated the day he left, and I think we sort of say that uh, Billy Slater, he revolutionised the position of fullback, and I agree with that, but I think Darren Lockyer started it. He passed it on to Carmichael Hunt, and he took it to a new level. Then Billy Slater mastered it. I think that what Carmichael Hunt did in his few years he was just such an incredible footballer. Yeah, look, it was a, it was, it was no um, surprise that we had something special there at the Broncos uh, within Carmichael Hunt. Uh, look, I, I can't speak highly of uh, K, Sausage Dog, Kami, whatever you want to call him. There's a lot of nicknames that we we gave him along the way, but um, he was. He was he was full of he wasn't just a good footy player he's full of knowledge uh, off the footy field as well and um, when you talk about changing the game at fullback I mean he did when you talk about the, the how we play our fullbacks now and those block plays with three on two Kay did it the best uh, you know he set the platform Bill Bill created the the fullback that um, was was just put so many Ks on, on the field. I mean, fullbacks back in the day, you know, the, we, we, we like to see him in space, but Bill was everywhere. Bill became that number. I think Bill became that, uh, that roamer around the ruck where, um, where K was the, was the, was the, was a ball player. He, he really created that um, and, and showed that he had that part of skill in him. And yeah, he, he, he was a special talent. I, I think when you lose players to other codes like Israel Folau, um, and Carmichael Hunt, you know, where are we going as a game to have lost those players? Um, look, another one for me right now, Salusi sort of Vilavalu. I mean, he's my, he's been my favourite winger for a long time, uh, and for us to lose him to the Reds was was another huge thing. I mean, what do we what do we come to as a game to be able to lose uh, those players? Semi Radradras, you know, like the entertainers of rugby league. So. 
I don't know how on the, on the topic of K, he was special and he gave a lot um, to the Broncos. And I'm surprised that we didn't win another grand final while he was, he was at the club. We fell short. Oof, I mean, I went to a prelim twice with that, that group. Uh, the last time K didn't play in that team, but Lockie didn't either. So if we would have in that 2011, if, if Lockie hadn't um, broken his jaw in the game before, we'd probably go and win that comp. Um, and that's still something that that's just really digs deep into me because it's the only thing I don't have. <laughs> and it's the only thing that I, uh, I would have been happy to, uh, more than happy to bow out of the game a little bit more. Uh, the Barsers in 2015, I was still on the, I was still on the top 30 squad. So I technically would have got one. So <sighs> you're mad Barsers just didn't win it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get yourself a ring or what? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. So, uh, yeah. Look, it was. It, it's. It's tough. But you know, we. You can. You can have a lot of accolades in the game. But for me, that's the biggest thing: is to win a grand final with your team. Yeah, mate. I, I imagine that must be the absolute uh, p- pinnacle. I mean, like, obviously, you did achieve a lot in your career. And as I said, we, we will get to it shortly. Uh, how it was cut short. Uh, but mate, obviously, um, you know, 2009, uh, you burst onto the scene there, have an incredible season. 2010 rolls around, and it kicks off with a uh, with a pretty special event, uh, the first Indigenous All Stars game. And I was lucky enough to go to that game. I was sitting, I was sitting in the front row where Wendell Saylor scored that try, and he had the corner oh, post. And yeah. mate, oh, it was unbelievable. I had um, and like oh, I thought that was exciting. I I found out about twenty minutes later. I had Jamie Soward's mother sitting behind me, and I'm sure you remember wow. he scored an, an important try in that game to win it for years. And mate, my eardrums are still ringing. <laughs> Far out. Yeah, yeah. That that you know what that week will go down for me to be one of the most special in my career because. Uh, obviously it's very well documented that I am an Indigenous boy, but I didn't know a lot about my culture until I went in the, into that camp. So um, that's what those, that's what those things are for, you know. And at the end of the game, at the end of the week, we get to play a bloody footy game that that's puts on a great spectacle for everyone. So yeah, I learned I've learned from that day on a lot about um, you know my culture and who I am and my identity as a as a footy player because it you know my grandmother was part uh, her father was part of the stolen generation so that's probably why we'd never talked about it a lot um, when when I was uh, younger and that's why I probably didn't know a lot so um, I poked and prodded as much as I could after that first All Stars game and to my grandmother and finally got some stuff out of her and yeah look um, I've just had a, a son you know a week ago um, <laughs> which which is a week cool, ago. But- a week ago. Oh, yep. I didn't realise um, it was that soon. Congratulations, mate. <laughs> thank I you can't very believe much. you're on here. What are you doing? Yeah, he's just asleep in the lounge room. He'll be all right. Uh, he's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. But, I, you know, I now I'll get to pass that knowledge down to, to my son. Um, so that's 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 why the Indigenous All-Stars and the, and the, and the Māori All-Stars are, are so important these days. Well, mate, that was going to be my next question. Obviously, being a father now, like, um, you, you just said that you will be passing that on. Tell me, how will you be passing that that cultural importance onto your son? Um, I'm a I'm a teacher myself, mate, and I, I I teach in South Sydney, so I teach a lot of Indigenous students. And for me, there is a massive gap there. Um, there's mm. just not enough connection to their culture as a as a father. How, how will you look to do that in your son's life? 
Well, look, I, I've got a I've got a pretty smart uncle uh, who actually lives in Melbourne. Uh, he's a lecturer down in Melbourne, and um, you know, I've been learning a lot of him about who who I am as a person, who you know, who my people are, and um, as a as a father, I'll only get better at learning as well along the way. So uh, that's the beauty about life, you know. I, I I don't I never stop learning as well. So my knowledge will always grow, uh, but as soon as my knowledge grows, it'll be passed on to my sons because it's so important that I I start from a young age for him so he knows his identity because unfortunately for me um you know i i grew up in a um you know an era that was sort of you know just westernized a little bit and um and my grandmother was just a bit nervous to talk about it so because of because of where what what happened with that so um you know i'll i'll, I'll be able to yeah talk freely and look let's hope in the next you know 5 10 15 years we we get better as a nation um to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land because it's so important um and um you know to to even be sitting here and knowing that the blood that runs through my vein is 60,000 years old is is pretty cool in itself mate it's unbelievable and i think as a country uh we are getting better but geez there there is a lot of improvement still to come isn't there yeah, there is a lot of improvement, but you know what? We'll get there. Um, you know, for me, I see that there's no there's no point pushing, pushing, and pushing as um, harder. I think it's just the approach of just keep it keep it going and, and keep it above water, and that's all we can do is try and make sure that it's still there and relevant. Um, but the more we push, sometimes sometimes people push away from it and they don't want it thrown down their throat. So my you know my approach is. I'll just keep, I'll keep it there. It'll always be there for me. And I'll make sure that, um, you know, my friends and my family and my uh, people in my group will, will be able to pass it on because, hey, it starts from the young ones. It doesn't start from anywhere else. Mate, the, uh, the 2010 season rolls around for the Brisbane Broncos and um, you missed the finals this season. Now, I mean, for, for young kids listening to this now that have seen the Broncos miss the finals recently, I mean, back then, that was unheard of. The Broncos, they simply did not miss the finals. How did you deal with that season? That was a weird season, man, because um, first time in the history of the club's history that we missed the top eight, uh, let alone the top four, because that's our that's our goal at the Broncos is a, is a top four finish every single year, and that has been since day since '88. So um, uh, to be a part of that was it's a bit embarrassing. Um, you know, I feel like I let the fan. We found the let let the fans down, uh, and at the end of the at the end of the day, we, you know, I played for you know the fans. I played for the people of that club because they're the ones that put a lot of the money into, um, you know, how we've grown as a as a organisation. Not only as a club, but an organisation and a business as well. We we thrive off our off our members, and uh, every time I lost a game, um, I made sure that you know I didn't feel upset as long as I gave everything. Um, and I knew that the members knew that as well. So but that year was very different. Um, it was it was a, it was a weird dynamic. I don't, I don't look. We were in the mix of, and you could probably can't blame this, but it does it does stuff up with the dynamic of the team. But we, you know, Ivan Henjak sort of on the way out. We weren't too sure. He ended up getting the ass at the early 2011. So you know, we knew knew at stages he wasn't going to be the coach because sometimes I just didn't have a clue what I was doing at training the way he was, he was doing stuff and great bloke, great person, but just wasn't a great head coach. He probably could, he was a great assistant to Wayne, but um, 
he wasn't a great head coach. And looking back now, uh, there was a, there was too many young players probably in that side not learning enough of the coach when we should have been. And we needed a bit more of experience in that field. And Anthony brought that in 2011. But yeah, it was it was a it was. It was a hard pill to swallow in 2010 when we bow out early. The only good thing about it is that we got to go on our trip away and plan it. <laughs> I'm sure you wouldn't have missed there. But, mate, before <laughs> we get to that trip, I'll bring you back to that. Uh, mate, you just mentioned then that – and, you know, this is with all due respect to Ivan Henjak. I mean, uh, I don't think it's an insult to say he's not as good as Wayne Bennett. I mean, it's like playing a song after Elvis, you know, the guy coaching yeah. after Wayne Bennett. It's a, it's a tough gig, but – what like, like for you, what was the difference between a guy like Wayne Bennett and a guy like Ivan Henjak? Like if you can put it into words, what was the difference there? What what changed? Wayne didn't need to coach. Wayne Wayne just did not need to coach. Wayne was a great people um, manager. And you you've probably it's like a broken record, people hear this, but Wayne was so good at managing people. And that's what Wayne did best. And when the team's running hot you don't need to do anything else but manage the players and you just got to make sure that they're at training they're enjoying themselves and they're doing what they love to do with Ivan it was a bit of a mix up with you know um, we got put on some bands of drinking piss you know we we got told we couldn't do a lot of things you know it's like taking away people's livelihood from them you know we we we, we play footy and I look this is probably to young kids out there, but I played footy because I wanted to have a beer with my mate afterwards and look him in the eye and make sure that I know that we both did our best job. If we lost, but we gave everything, I'll go have a beer with someone. If we lose and I know that I was, you know, I, I bowed out and I didn't, I didn't want to, I couldn't look my mate in the eye, then, then that's a bit of a different story. But, you know, I think the, the stuff with Ivan Hinjack was, unfortunately, we probably just didn't have enough um, of people managing and um and you, you look into that team uh, there's some pretty wild boys in there but Wayne knew how to look after him um and just Ivan Ivan did it and then you got Hook that comes along and he's pretty very similar to to Wayne in how he um his mannerisms and how he deals with stuff he's very old school and uh, he'll tell you straight down that but Hook loves it loves a beer so he's not going to stop that <laughs> Mate, uh, you know, when you were sharing a beer at the end of a game in 2010, do, did you feel like all 17 players could, could look each other in the eye and say, we gave our absolute best there? There were games where we could. I mean, you know, there were still games that we were losing, oh, not not by a lot. We were, we were, we were, we were, we were, we, it was probably the first year actually in origin period where we really struggled um, for a long time. I know that you know, that was a, you know, that's, that's something that happened a lot for the Broncos, but this year, this year in particular, we had a lot of players that were playing origin, but were missing weeks after the games as well. So we had a very young squad trying to um, pick up the pieces after origin. And um, so, you know, that, that was in a bit of an experience at times um, probably didn't help uh, in that period, but we still had a, you know, we still had that urge to win games and we did win some of the, at the death. But if you look at that year, that top, top eight were very tight. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't like it was sprawled out like it is these days, the top four is a, a, a way away, but the, the, that 2010 year, it was a pretty close top eight. So um, we just, we just, we got pipped, I think by the Raiders um, and they took that spot and uh, we had to swallow our pill and, um, like I said, it wasn't enjoyable, but uh, first time in a long time, it was an early preseason, and 
I'll tell you what, we got to work because yeah, we we we, we went we went hard when we came back in eleven. Where'd you go away at the end of twenty ten, mate? Tell me about the trip. Yeah, we went to Darwin. Um, <laughs> I was not expecting yeah, Darwin. Yeah, proceed. Yeah. <laughs> Ex- Darwin. We went to Darwin because no one bloody knew us. So <laughs> we, went to, we went to Darwin at Darwin, and this is when. When, it's probably a bit controversial to say this. This is when the big easy dog could uh, enjoy a beer. <laughs> <laughs> and it was his last year. So, um, yeah, he was there and, geez, he was sending it. He was my roomie. So, um, yeah, look, I, some of the memories I have with him are so enjoyable. And to even be, you know, we were the same age. So, um, you know, he feel, I feel like he was a veteran, though, compared to where I would be because he played the game for so much longer than I have. But, uh, yeah, it was a very good trip. Just a reminder that anyone that lives in Darwin, when it rains up there, you don't get hit with uh, little little bits of rain. Those rain those raindrops are fucking massive. <laughs> Mate, I have no doubt you wouldn't have felt much, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, you're very right. You're very right. <laughs> Mate, uh, 2011 rolls around and you're coming off – uh, at that point, the worst Broncos season of all time. Of course, that's been blown out of the water recently. But 2011, you return. Um, the guy I want to ask you about is your skipper, Darren Lockyer. He's the face of the Brisbane Broncos. He's arguably their greatest player ever. Um, obviously, coming off the worst season ever for the Broncos. What changed in Darren Lockyer in 2011? Was there a different vibe when you returned to preseason? Oh, well, there was because we knew that he was his you know, he'd, he'd come out and said it was he's going to be his last year as well. So, um, you know, we, we had known that for a little bit, um, you know, in early preseason. But at the end of preseason, when we got there, usually Lockie um, would, would not come back for a little bit because obviously you've got, uh, you know, you've got to make sure he's playing tests and he's, he's doing all these things. But he was there day one. Um, with all the young fellas and he made sure that all the older boys were as well. And we used to do this thing called the 1.25. Um, it's a 20, uh, okay, it's up 20, back 20, up 40, back 40, up 60, back 60. You do that five times and you've got to get under five minutes. You'd, um, you got to get under 520 day one. And Lockie got back uh, in probably the best date that he could possibly come. He, he knew he meant business, basically. Uh, he ran... Uh, some of the best times were like four fifty fives. Lockie ran lot that day. Lockie ran a um, four thirty nine. He broke the club record, uh, and he's a 30, 33, 34 year old man. Wow. We we knew he meant business. So from that day, he didn't need to say a lot. Lockie did uh, on the field because he just showed with his action. So we knew um, we were in for a big preseason that day, and we knew that he meant business, and and we were going to follow him. Mate, tell me about the relationship between Henjack and obviously Anthony Griffin. I think this is a situation we see quite often in rugby league. Uh, you know a coach is under pressure. You know the man sitting in the seat next to him is probably the guy to take over. I must imagine it has to be a bit of an awkward situation as much as we all want to pretend it's a fucking Walt Disney film in rugby league. It has to be awkward. Yeah, I could imagine. I could imagine it would have been awkward. Um, look, we, we, we got whispers probably uh, just after Christmas that it was going to be, you know, he was probably going to have a couple of games even, but he didn't even make it. I didn't even think he made it there. So uh, I think the board came to a decision that, you know, Anthony was a successor and we knew that, uh, you know, basically the squad that was coming through was basically the under twenties anyway. Uh, So the relationship he had, Anthony had with the players was already second to none. Um, we knew where Hook stood on on values uh, and who we were as a team and what 
you know, what he's seen for the future. So, yeah, it was it would have been awkward, I suppose, for the coaching staff. Um, but knowing Hook, he wouldn't have given a fuck, mate. <laughs> he would have been it would have been all business for him um, when it came to you know you're going to get that you're you're going to get this role. So, yeah, it would have been all business for him. And um, as soon as he took over, uh, he clicked into gear, and um, the start of 2011 was 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 no different than any Anthony Griffin team that he'd taken over in the previous years. So he was uh he was a he was a very good coach in the short amount of time he actually coached the Bronx. Um, so uh, look, I got so much respect for Anthony Griffin. Mate, another good coach you'd come in contact very soon. Uh, you come in contact with very soon, of course, Tim Sheens. Now, I, I assume you receive a phone call off him over the next few weeks. Yeah, so that was in yeah that was the first test in Skill Park. I, I did not expect this at all. This was a really this was a look. I knew because 2010 I was 18th man for Origin in Game Three. Uh, so I sort of got a bit of a taste of what Origin was like in camp was like, and for an 18th man in camp in for Origin, yeah, it's pretty enjoyable. Yeah, you saw the tracksuit and whatnot, not bad. Ex- exactly. So I was not expecting to be chosen uh, in this Australian squad uh, at all. Um, but there was a running joke like the year before. Um, the manager, the football manager, Pete Nolan, he was handing out um, stuff for the end of season tests in 2010. And uh, sorry, at the start of 2010, sorry. And we used to have a 4X day every year. And basically you get, before the season starts, we used to get dressed up, go to the 4X boardroom and they'd put on a do for us. We'd sign um, some jerseys and then we would get on the piss. Um, And that would be our, you know, after pre-season before the season starts bonding thing. And he handed out all these uh, slips to people who were playing for Australia. Um, and he pretended to hand me one in 2010 and I took it and I was serious. And then he said no. And everyone laughed at me. Um, so when, when, when I got told by him that I'd be getting a call by Tim Sheens, uh, he, called me I, t- I told him to get fucked because I thought he was, <laughs> I thought he was lying to me um, and then when Tim Sheen called me uh, I told Tim Sheen's to fuck off because <laughs> I thought I thought he was one of the boys jeering me up um, so the first encounter with Tim Sheen's wasn't all time but he's a he's a businessman as well so he kept a straight face he's like no Gerald this is really Tim Sheen's um, and that was that was pretty cool, man. Uh, because, you know, I'm in camp, you know, I'm in, I'm in camp two days after one day after that. Sorry. Um, one day after I'm going to school park, I'm staying at the best hotels in, in the, on the Goldie. Um, and I'm thinking this is all a bloody dream. <laughs> Mate, I'm, I'm having a look at this squad. I mean, Slater, Inglis, Hodges, Lockyer, Thurston, Smith, seven, Seva, Thiday, Cooper Cronk's on the bench for God's sake. Like, I imagine walking into that hotel lobby, it must have been pretty daunting for you. Well, look, at first you think about that, right? You know, you think about those names. But if you, you said a few of those, uh, it was my, my it was the right side of the Broncos. So it just fitted for me perfectly. It was Lockie, Lockie in the halves. Uh, so Sammy was the second rower on the right side. Lockie was the half and, and Hodge was the right centre. So it was only fitting that, um, you know, I'd play there because, you know, the chemistry was already there, obviously. Uh, and I was already, I was having a stellar of the year to start off with. So uh, I just didn't think it was going to be that early for me playing for Australia. But you're right. When I walk in the lobby and, you know, I see the likes of Cameron Smith and Jonathan Thurston, um, or obviously previously seen them playing Origin, but then you got, um, you know, Paul Gallen, uh, who, you know, 
Um, obviously, being a Queenslander, didn't like at the time, but um, you know, got to got got to like G Train um, and got to really, uh, you know pick his brain about rugby league and what he was doing. So yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. It was not only just me, Jamal Idris and Kate Snowden that year was, uh, were debuting for Australia as well. So I had a few young familiar faces who were a bit lost at first. Um, so, but the dynamic to the Australian squad, uh, is very different to the Queensland team. Like you don't go in there and drink piss. Um, you, you're, you're straight in there for business. <laughs> who was your, uh, who, who was your roommate in the Australian camp? Well, Aussie camp. Um, oh no, this is probably a little bit of a layer up. Everyone gets their own room um, when I was playing. Uh, everyone got their own room <laughs> when I was trouble. Uh, yeah, mate. So <laughs> it's a little bit like that. Uh, everyone got their own room. Uh, we stayed in the Meriton uh, on the on 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 uh, Sun uh, Surface Paradise. So first night we having teppanyaki. I was like, this is yeah, this is all time. <laughs> And, mate, uh, it wouldn't be a rep game featuring Jarrell Yao Yeo without you scoring a sneaky little meat pie. Uh, you, you, definitely, you definitely had a knack for it. Incredible record. Yeah, look, I think it just – I don't know. That's, I don't know how it happened, but the ball just seemed to fire me. And uh, I always had try-line eyes. And uh, all I knew – Anthony Griffin, you know, taught me um, when I was coming through at the 20s just to – he gave me confidence to back myself uh, where, you know, probably – Coaches, uh, actually, I've got, to, I've got to give a lot of credit to my uh, coach at uh, North, Brendan Lamb, uh, when I was coming through, Adrian Lamb's brother. He really gave me a lot of confidence to, uh, and gave me a license to run and gave me a license to do whatever I wanted, really. But Anthony Griffin really gave me that, uh, spurred that on for me. And he said, if I seen something, to give it a go, but just be ready to hold the consequences if I didn't, <laughs> if I didn't, uh, if it didn't come off. But the more I took those opportunities, um, the more he he got confident in me doing that, so yeah, just kept finding the line. And the big G train gave me that assist that that game, and um, very forever grateful for him because uh, he'll never let me live that down. Because he said if I didn't give you that, you wouldn't have scored in all your debuts, a little pretty. So, yeah. <laughs> Mate, I'm pretty sure he he was sharing that on social media a few weeks ago, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, no, he did, he did actually, and he said um like uh. Good old times. Yeah, we are old, mate, so it is good old times. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he, he loved to be the low-key ball player, Paul Gowan. He did. Um, look, it didn't do him a lot of help in the, uh, in the Origin Arena, but, hey, uh, we didn't really care about that. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard to watch at times, mate. Talking about the Origin <laughs> Arena, uh, you'd get another phone call a month or two later. Uh, is that call made by Mal Meninga, mate? It is. It is made by Melman. What a moment. Um, oh, that's, yeah, look. I hope uh, you didn't tell him to fuck off, mate. You'd be six foot deep. I did not tell him to fuck off um, because I had an inkling. You know, I was I was playing such good footy that I thought I had to be in the mix. You know, Israel Folau had gone to AFL. You know, there was an opportunity there. And I was like, surely, surely, just just give me a chance. Um, and I did get that call on a Sunday morning, hung bung at Benny, Hens- Benny Hunt's house <laughs> after being out on a night um, with the with the little dozer. Um, and uh, I think Mac was there, Andrew McCulloch was there as well because we all used to own the same little apartments at, at Ascot. So um, we would always be at each other's homes. And uh, yeah, mate, that was that was special. I was shocked, actually. I actually didn't know how to tell the boys when I got off the phone. I was like, I just, I just basically just said, 
I'm playing Origin this, next week. And they're like, what? I'm like, I'm playing Origin next week. And, you know, you know you're doing something right when your mates just embrace you and just, just are so happy for you. And um, I got to call my grandmother, my late great-grandmother who passed away in 19. And that was, you know, that meant the world to her um, for, for stuff like that, just because she knew how hard I bloody worked to, to get there. And she knew that I wanted to be a Queenslander. Uh, my family weren't hated Queensland, never followed Queensland, always followed New South Wales. Um, we're not from New South Wales, so I don't know bloody why, but they, they <laughs> One just of those people, huh? Yeah, they were. They loved to follow New South Wales because they didn't like the Broncos as well because the Broncos were so successful and they loved the underdogs. But it was the first time I ever see my grandfather, my, my grandmother and my mum put a maroon jersey on. So that in itself was a win for me. Um, and yeah, those, you can't get those moments back. I mean, Mal just said, you know, he was just saying, I'm very deserving of this and enjoy this moment. Um, not a lot of people get to do this. And he's so correct. I mean, there's only been 200, you know, 220, I think, who have ever been able to don that jersey. And, um, you know, I was number 169. So it's an absolute privilege to even be able to, you know, spoken, um, be, be spoken about in, in that side. Mate, I imagine obviously getting a Queensland jersey special uh, to receive it from Mal Meninga, you know, one of the most dominant outside backs we've ever seen, an outside back yourself. And, you know, just the, being the Queensland legend he is, I'm not sure if there's a better person to receive that jersey from. No, there's not, mate. And, you know, look, you know what? We were in such a good stead at the time for Queensland as well. I mean, that to me was – I was – I was – hoping that I'd go on to play a lot more origins than I did. But, uh, you know, I was a part of the six in a row that year. And, um, you know, the illustrious six, you know, the sensational six we were called. Yeah, and, we all know um, about it, mate. We all know about it. <laughs> um, yeah, the sensational six we were called. And just, to, yeah, like I said, I was just I was just a part of such a great, great footy side that, you know, my kids – you know, your kids, you know, we, we might never see that again. So to, to be honest, to, to be in, yeah, that's the same sentences as being in that Mal Meninga um, eight in a row was, was pretty cool. Now, mate, I believe when you enter this camp for the first time, I believe you introduce <laughs> yourself uh, to your roomie. Is that right? I did. Billy Slater. I <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, you know what? This is just being a young kid and I didn't know what I was doing at the time. But um, what happened was when you go there, we usually go down to Coolum. Um, back then we had camp on Coolum. So Coolum was a huge golf course, but it all had a little um, – they, they had two rooms and you had your own living room. You had your own en suites. So two bedrooms, two en suites in this, in this, um, this, this place. So before we went there, we would go and stay in the city in Brisbane and you'd stay one night there and um what would happen was you'd uh you'd do all the media the next day so everyone would arrive and um someone had said that the concierge said to me oh can i take your bags up and i was like nah leave them i'm you know they're mine and they're like no no we'll take them to your room i still didn't even get you know this i'm not still not accustomed to that but i went up there and they're like your room is already in there and i'm like oh man who i wonder who my room is you know i'm i'm absolutely shit bricks and i walk in it's really slate it's like laying on the bed and i just i don't know why uh, he got up he's like hey man i was like oh hey how you going um my name's Gerard. yeah he goes yeah i know who you are mate. you're my winger <laughs> from this day on i don't know why i said that but i just was so nervous um that i did <laughs> um oh, that's yeah, unreal it was, it, was, it was a it was just a it was a it was a brain fart i don't know <laughs> mate hadn't you played with him in the australian side a few weeks before 
(laughs) You know what? When when we were there, um, I didn't actually get like I didn't actually room with Bill, so it was all on field stuff. Yeah, right. Um, Yeah, it was all on field stuff. But you know, it was one of those things when you say, "You fuck, why did I say that?" Um, And that was the exact moment. So yeah, I I don't know what I was thinking um, at that moment, but uh, it, it wasn't one of my best moments. Oh, mate, I'd do some weird shit to be a fly on the wall in that room. <laughs> that would have been sensational. Uh, mate, obviously that game, another debut, another meaty. Um, how'd you score that one? That one was um, – oh, I remember this one. It, it's so weird how I remember this one because people were going to think I'm crazy by saying this, but um, I, I, I had a dream the night before I played Origin that I, I scored off a grabber kick. Um, it was so – vivid the dream was so vivid and um the man i told about it because we would have a lot of conversations in that camp was cooper cronk because he were, he was a big believer in um you know law of attraction and uh so i would tell him a lot of shit in camp uh, especially when we'd had a few um i'd just sit down and pick his brain but also we talk about some weird stuff but um i i did tell him that um game day and he's like, really? And I was like, yeah, mate. I said, I don't know. I had this the dream and it was just so vivid. And wouldn't you read about it? Um, bloody, I think it's Ben Hannett pops it out the back and it goes through Lockie's hands backwards. And the man that comes off the bench to pick it up is Cooper Cronk. He grubs it about 35 out on a on a about a 45 degree angle to the right post at Suncorp Stadium. Uh, between Josh Dugan and Brett Morris and it pops up perfectly between them and I just there it is again just pops up into my hand and and scored another try on debut for 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 I don't know how many times but bloody hell it just happened mate there must have been some of your friends that were taking first try scorers on all this surely well, we will look. We're not allowed to say that, but uh, yeah, there was a bit of money. There was a bit of money made. <laughs> Would have been a good investment strategy, just quietly. Absolutely well, flying. Yeah, look, it was. I think I was actually. I think I was paying like. I, I don't know how I know this, but I think I was paying about three sixty. So, I mean, it's not a bad odds, um, you know, for me to score on debut. So, um, yeah, I was. I was paying about three dollars sixty. So, yeah, it was good money for me. Mate, uh, you let the state down in game two. You don't score a try. Queensland lose. You return game three. You score another one. They win. Um, mate, what? T- tell me about the party after that. You mentioned, obviously, uh, the Australian team. It's not a big drinking culture there. I imagine that after State of Origin, after winning that series, it must be one hell of an experience. Look, uh, look. If, 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 if I was, I probably wouldn't really ever tell this story. But if Cameron Munster can go do it and um, do it in this, this, the fashion that he did it, then I'm going to bloody tell it as well. So, strap well, myself I, in. Let's go. I bloody finished that game, and I just got word by hook, uh, you know, a message saying, "Mate, enjoy the weekend. Uh, you don't have to come back to a train until thir- next Thursday. We got Melbourne at home." You go and enjoy, just go relax, um, put your feet up, toes to the ceiling. And I'm thinking, Chuck, I ain't putting my toes to the ceiling, champion. Uh, <laughs> Wednesday night, I've got – look, this is how much I loved my mates and I, and I didn't care about money at the time. Like I just was – that. I just loved – I just had a fair bit of money and I was pretty good at saving money. And um, knowing that I was getting paid 30 grand in origin um, – 
I was good. I was very smart with my money. I put it in a lot of investments and um, I'm very lucky for it now. But at the time, uh, I, I, I saved money for these moments, you know, like I, <laughs> I saved money for these moments. So I told the, my three best mates that I lived with at the time in the house that they weren't working uh, Thursday, Friday or Monday. Uh, I told them I'd pay their wages. Uh, so I said, boys, just put a line, ring your bosses, said, no, you, you aren't coming in. Uh, so I go Wednesday with them. We go out Thursday. We got the keys to the city, by the way. You know, you're just, <laughs> you're just bloody. You can do anything you want in Brisbane. And um, at this start, at this stage, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, uh, I'd become friends with a lot of club owners um, purely because I didn't want to go to places where I was going to get annoyed most of the time, and I could go and enjoy myself without getting punished. And um, it was the best thing that ever happened because I'm still close mates with all of them now. And, I never really go out anymore, but when I do want to, I can enjoy myself. I can go out and enjoy myself. So um, Thursday rolls through. One of my mates bows out straight away after Wednesday. He's like, we're done. Uh, he's done. He goes back He goes back uh, up to the sunny coast. And, yeah, the party just goes on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, and <laughs> I pulled up Monday uh, knowing that I had a game against Melbourne on Friday. So um, it was a bloody great weekend. Um my mates will never forget it. Um, we we all that, that that year we yeah we just had a really enjoyable time. But you know what I I prided my I pride myself on backing up. So you know I didn't make sure that I went back the week after and I didn't play a shit game. So I turned up against Melbourne. We lost by four. I played my debut in the centers in the centers that game as well because Hodjo, obviously the old fella, just uh, hammies were going again. So he decided to not play that game. <laughs> um, but yeah, I backed up for that game against Melbourne. Scored a meat pie, and uh, we come. They're just so good. The Melbourne Broncos clashes are just so good. So we end up falling four short of them. Mate, I reckon Hook gave you the week off in the hope that you'd take some of the Melbourne big three with you on the source and uh, do a number on them. <laughs> oh, look, mate, they're too smart. Smithy, Smithy's uh, Smithy's good. He knows what to do. So he he went into the Thursday morning, but knowing that uh, he had to play next week and obviously be the captain. And Bill's not much of a huge, uh, what's that word? I'm not very familiar with a bender. I don't know really that. I don't <laughs> Larry know that Emder. Very well. <laughs> That's the one, mate. Uh, obviously the 2011, uh, or sorry, the 2011 NRL series. Uh, mate, it's a uh, it's an interesting year. It feels like. The Darren Lockie a farewell tour. For, it felt like it went for three months. It was unreal, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, mate. It was. It was. Look, it was a. It was the way he was supposed to go out, and um, you know, if he doesn't break his face in that game against St George, we'll probably go on and win it. But he, he, he deserved the. He deserved all the plaudits he, he should have got, and he, he was a great, um, you know, a great footy player for. All, all, all walks of life in uh, the state, his country, and, and for, for the Broncos. So, yeah, the party did go on. And, um, like, we got closer to the end of the year, and the vibe around the Broncos was, man, we were going to – we knew we we knew we had an opportunity here. We knew we were going to go close to, to win that grand final. And, like I said, unfortunately, he um, gets kneaded in the face by – I won't name the guy because he's one of my good friends – um, but he gets kneaded in the face in the St. George game. And um, unfortunately... I'm trying to think who it was. Was it was it Beal, was it? Yeah, it yeah, was. Right. Yeah, right. Um, Bealy, if you listen, I love you, brother. Should have put some salt <laughs> and pepper on that knee, just quietly. Yeah, mate. He's, <laughs> there's a bit of work done on both of those knees. So um, it, might, it might have been a bit extra work that done it. Oh, mate. But I'll tell you what, that game was unreal. Um, you know, Lockyer getting back up, hitting the field goal. Uh, I've seen prettier field goals, but they all count. And just such an incredible moment for Lockie. Yeah, look, to go out 
Look, we would we would have obviously liked to have a prelim at Suncorp Stadium because that extra crowd would have probably got us home, I'd say, against Manly. But we had to go down there and and do a job. But for him to go out like that and to be to be carried out on shoulders, um, you know, that's the way Lockie should have went, and and that's the way he did go out. Um, 2012 rolls around, and I mean, you are being held in the highest regard. You've made your debut for Queensland. You've been successful there. You've made your debut for the Kangaroos. You've been successful there. Uh, 2011, I want to say you scored at least 15 tries. It was a pretty handy season for you there, 2011. Uh, 2012 preseason, I imagine you must have just been full of so much confidence then. Yeah, look, I actually, 2011, um, before we get past that year, I actually go on a tour, my first tour. I went on my first tour for oh, Australia. Of course you did, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and um, it was the BTE tour. It was the best tour ever because um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was at NEMU um, and me and Daly Cherry Evans were where we became um, bum buddies pretty much. We became pals. Uh, we were already mates before that, but we became even closer in that on that trip and Gee, we did some weird shit on that trip. It was enjoyable. Um, so, look, we, we won't go into depth into that trip because I might get myself in a bit of trouble. But, uh, yeah, that was that was an enjoyable trip. But I, I, I didn't come back to train until January. Uh, so I, I had a good stint and a good rest um, away from the game. And, man, I came back to training so ready. Uh, I was, you know, I was – I was – I was a lot, I've grown, I was a lot bigger, um, I was stronger, uh, footy-wise, footy, footy wise, uh, you know, I was smarter in the sense of how I seen the game, so to, footy, you could say 2012, I came in, I was hitting PBs in the, in the gym, I was 105 kilos and I was running, I was running 40 metres in like four, I think it was four seven sevens, which wow. is... It's like Wendell Saylor ran them at the, at the Broncos at 470, so I was, I was... I was in the best, you know, physical uh, way I could possibly be. And I was thoroughly looking forward to uh, marking up against whoever was on the other side of me. Mate, before we do get to that season, is there anything better than being an emu just quietly? Oh, no way in the world. I tell you what, the the, uh, the saying back it up um, really stuck to me there because I trained every single training session and I trained the house down every single training that hung over. Like, and Tim Sheens didn't care. He just said, as long as you use a here, and it's been Lockie's last tour, we probably we probably bent the rules a little bit more than we should have. Um, as long as we, and the well, as long as we won footy games, I only played two in that, and that was Wales. One was Wales in that Four Nations tour, and the other one was the final. And I got told that I wasn't playing the final. So, what do you think I did the day, the, the <laughs> night, the night before the team run? Uh, I went out and got absolutely blind and then Tim Sheens comes to me in the morning at team run and said hey mate I think I'm going to play you over Bremos and I was like yeah beauty can't wait <laughs> mate I'm having a look at the score sheet now guess who's there again yeah, Unbelievable. You know I got uh, I got robbed I got robbed of the try as well I should have scored two um, they, they took one away from me which I was absolutely filthy about but hey look you can't can't have your cake and eat it as well mate uh, one hell of a compliment being selected over Bemos pretty impressive yeah, look, he he was still for me was the hardest challenge I ever had playing in that that comp when I was coming through. He prided himself on on consistency every single year, and look, it shows over the over the years. He's just gotten better and better as well. So, um, if I was going to give any praise to any winger that I'd ever played against, Brett, Brett Morris was the hardest 
Brett Morris was the hardest to ever um, come across, and he was a superstar. Mate, 2012 rolls around. You mentioned in the preseason you're absolutely flying. Your times are incredible, uh, full of confidence. Uh, I think Brisbane, they were sitting with a 2-1 and one record. I think you'd already scored a few tries in your first couple mm. of games. Uh, you get on the flight to Perth, and um, I mean, fair to say, a life-changing moment. Life-changing. It didn't feel right from the start. And I look, in hindsight, I know saying that now, you know, if nothing happened, I'm, I might not even be talking about this, but it just didn't feel right. We got over there so late. I think it was like 2 in the morning. We played on a Saturday, and that was a – I think we got there on a Thursday morning at 2. Um, so we obviously had a day to recover and we, um, we did a pre, we did a team run Friday evening, uh, and it just didn't feel right. I'm a bit of a weirdo when it comes to, uh, scheduling and, and, um, how I, how I get ready as well. And my strapper didn't strap me at the, at the time, the same of the game. So I don't, I don't blame him, but it just, it just didn't feel right. Uh, and, uh, yeah, look, the incident, um, you know, we, we go into the game and we're probably we're actually under the pump a little bit in this game. We were getting dushed um, by by um, by the rabbits. They were they they came to play and uh, just we knew we knew we needed to change the game a little bit. And um, I know that you know I enjoy that part of my game, changing the game and in, in, in aspects. And you know we spoke about it at the first start of the podcast about kicking chases. Um, chasing kicks, sorry, and making sure you're, you know, you're onto that. And this was no different. Um, compete for everything was something that Hook always said to me as well. And um, I probably could have pulled out of this, uh, you know, this exact moment, but uh, knowing my competitiveness, I did not. And uh, Dylan Farrell goes up for the catch, and uh, I was probably still fair and far away. Wall kicked at about 35 out across the field, so I had I had a fair bit of ground to cover. Um, and just unfortunately, you know, Dylan Farrell being 100, and I think he would have been 105 at the time, and I was 105, you know. So, you know, 110 kilos down on my ankle uh, in an awkward position. Um, just didn't just didn't sit well with, obviously, my little uh, Murray, Murray calves and my Larry ankle that didn't hold me up. <laughs> um, but my mum always said to me, if you're going to do something, do it properly, Jarrell, and I bloody did it. I bloody did it that day, <laughs> mate. I am I am extremely squirmish with this sort of stuff, and I've I've honestly avoided watching this for a decade. And when I knew you were coming on, I thought, all right, I'm going to have to watch it. I still haven't brought myself. I've heard the audio. I I just can't watch it myself. I imagine for you at the time when you do hit the ground, does adrenaline take over? Do you look at it? What, what what's doing there? Explain to me that that moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Adrenaline takes over. I see exactly what's happened. Um, I see it unfold in front of my eyes. Like I just, I hundred percent see it unfold, and I could see my ankle touch the side of my leg. So, it, it, I definitely knew that it was in a different, different position. Um, uh, but adrenaline took over, so it wasn't hurting. Could definitely see it dangling, and knew something was not correct. And by that stage, I was screaming um, to Hodge. Um, probably said the F word 50 times in a row. Uh, and then knowing me, um, laid down, uh, we had yellow socks on that night, um, which is just, just bloody good for me. Wasn't it? Um, and I just said to Hodge, I was just so curious, man. I was like, I've got to look again. And he's like, no, you don't have to look again. And as soon as I looked, man, at that point, it was probably, it would have been a probably 40 seconds after I'd done it. I'd lay down and look back up. It just, my whole sock just went red. And that's when we knew it was a compound, um, which I knew then I'd gone all tingly. That feeling you feel when you're going to faint. But luckily I was laying down. I just lay back down and went, yeah, okay, that's, 
that's not good. But at that moment, I just, I didn't think anything of it. I thought rehab. I thought, you know, get to the hospital, give me some, give me some good, um, some good painkillers and, uh, and send me on my way. Um, little did I know that that moment would not only change my footy career, but change my life completely. Uh, as you said, change your, your life completely. And at, at what point, when, when was the moment that you sort of went, fuck this, this could be red Rover here. Like I imagine being a young guy with all the confidence in the world with so many years ahead of you. I mean, seemingly outside of being in a wheelchair, there would be no injury that could stop you from coming back to play rugby league at that point. I mean, it, what, what was the moment that you sort of went, Jesus, th- th- this could be it. Yeah. The stubbornness was for first for me. I didn't, it took me a long time to actually realize um, that I would never be able to do what I, what I could do again. Um, so that would be that moment for me, that light bulb moment was, <laughs> was not until like the end of, even the start of uh, like, oh, I would say 2000. Yeah. Probably the, I don't even remember when I bloody retired, when I said I retired now, that's how long ago, like it just seems so. Um, look, I, it was, it was a couple of years later. Let's just put it that way. Um, and I still, I still remember the exact moment that I just knew um, because what had happened was I'd trained my, I just trained my ass off, man. And I was in a rehab group um, every week, week in and week out. Um, you know, I got given every chance by hook. You know, he gave me every opportunity to try and push back into the side and it just wasn't, couldn't move laterally. Uh, I could jump, just couldn't land. I was a bit nervous, but I didn't let that hold me back. I still jumped up in, the, in you know, a training and still clashed with players. And the other thing was like, every time I fell to the ground, everyone was like, shit. But I was like, no, I'm fine. You know, I didn't. And that was the other thing I was like, I'd have a conversation with a lot of boys about that. I was like, you've got to fucking just realize that I'm going to be, just don't do that because you're going to put me into a place where I can't do it. So, um, but I did, the moment I realized was when I was, I played a game for Norths and I'd done my other ankle. I high ankle sprained it and I couldn't walk because after a game, after I'd run on my right ankle, I couldn't walk as it was. So I was limping around. Then I just couldn't walk at all. So uh, it brought me to a moment like right now into my life where I was like, you're going to be a dad one day, Drow. You're not going to be able to run around with your kids. And for me being a single, you know, my mum being a single mum and me being a single, you know, having no dad, that was a big part for me, having having a father who can actually, you know, provide for the family. I thought to myself I might be disabled. Um, so that really hit home. So I was sitting in the physio room with um, my physio, Luke Anning, at the Broncos. Uh, good mates with still Luke Anning, who he'd, he'd seen everything. He'd seen everything. He's seen the roller coaster for me, but I just broke down and cried that day and called, said, can you go and get hook? And I just said to him, mate, I can't do this anymore. And um, he just said, mate, it's been two years. He goes, fuck, I thought you were going to give up a long time ago. He goes, I can't even believe how far you've come. No one was wanted to tell you, but you had to tell yourself. And, oh, you know, I thank them for that because they could have, you know, done that for me and said, you know, just giving me my fate, but they let me fight it out until I finally couldn't do it anymore and brought myself to tears to, to be honest, to, um, yeah, to, to give it up. Was there anyone in that two year gap that did pull you aside and say, you're not going to make it back and, and you push back on them? Did, did anyone say it to you? Nah, nah. 
I had, mate, you know what? I had a good group of mates yeah. and a good group of uh, people at the Broncos who believed in who I was and my ability. Um, and I was tough, mate. Like I just, I knew I was tough. I was a different person when I come out of that hospital. So, you know, for me even to be on the footy field, they told me I'd never walk again. So for me to, to be training with first graders and still, don't get me wrong, I was still, I was still, I was still marking up against players at training and I was still doing them up at times. So for me to be, even be there, they were surprised. So, you know, they were seeing glimpses of hope. So I, I suppose it was to, a, to an extent where they're like, well, can't rule this kid out just yet. Um, so no, they were, they were awesome. Uh, they gave me every opportunity to, to come back and uh, I thank them for that. Mate, how was the tradition uh, transition into post football life? I uh, I've spoken obviously a number of guys that have retired, and those first couple of years they seem pretty tough. And a lot of these guys, they're retiring on their own terms. You you didn't have that privilege. I imagined. I imagine it must have made it even harder for you, mate. Yeah. Um, look, I, it didn't help. I had a serious uh, painkiller addiction um, as well. That I've, you know I've only sort of just come out probably the start of this um sorry not a couple of months ago with sammy thighday and really delved in deep with that that i had a serious painkilling issue um a drug you know drug use issue with it with uh, prescription drugs so um with 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 all the head noise that was not playing footy anymore and then adding that to the piece um you know that podcast i did with sammy i uh, exploited that you know, I almost took my life. So it was extremely hard. It was extremely hard. But uh, I knew I knew that I just needed to find help. Um, that was the biggest thing. Uh, so when I did uh, find help, I finally got out of that rut. And I feel, I realized I was a different person. I was a different breed, man. I, I'm, look at me now, like, man, I, I don't know, even know who I was five years ago i don't even know who that person was so um i've grown into you know from a young man to a to a man and um i've learned to look i've lived i lived a life that a lot of people um have lived in a long period of time i've done it i've done it in, i've done it in a short period of time you mentioned uh prescription drug addiction there and um i mean i think this is something that's it's a lot more common in rugby league than what's um, the public are led to believe from from what I've gathered a lot of guys I talk to they talk off mic about it and it's a bit of a taboo subject but it definitely is a problem in rugby league isn't it yeah because um, this is the best way I can put it like this is this is the this is the best way I can put it we are extreme athletes all right we this is arguably the toughest I think and not just because I've played it this is arguably the toughest sport in the world Um you know, you've obviously got your likes like ice hockey, you know, that have right up there. Um, this is arguably one of the toughest sports in the world. Now, us as sports people, we're extremists. We're extremists. That's just the fact. We we do everything to the extreme. And talked about, you know, me doing painkillers. I used to do that to the most extreme I could possibly do. I used to push myself to the limits. Um you know, probably doctors out there probably going to scream if they're hearing this, but I was taking like, I was, I was mixing Zannies with endones and going and drinking piss. Like that's that I was an extremist. I would push my body to the limits that I possibly could till I thought it couldn't do anymore. So when you talk about, you know, that, that in that life, if you can't fulfill your life in rugby league and you're not living extreme enough in, in the game, 
that's probably where it falls back on because you want to live something else to the most extreme. And that's, for me, that's a, that's my point of view on it. Um, and that's only because I've lived that, um, you know, other people might have other opinions, but that's, that's, that's my opinion. I'm pretty strong about it. When you were in that, in that dark time, obviously, uh, mixing your prescription drugs, drinking alcohol, mate, is the club, is the NRL aware of these things? Cause I mean, from the outside looking in, it almost looks like they're just sort of turning a blind eye to it. I mean, I was talking to another mate the other day who had um, another former first grader, a guy that only played 20 or 30 games, mate, and he was in the exact same boat as was his brother, and we just, we never hear about it, and it sounds like the NRL, they leave a lot of these guys stranded. Yeah, look, I think um, it's probably a bit of a grey area, and um, we go back to, you know, mental health, right? We, we, we've really nipped that in the butt, I think. We've really nipped it in the butt, and we've come to the forefront of that. Um, but this is where mental health starts. So we're basically, we're, we're at a moment where we're trying to, um, we're stopping the mental health, but we, we need to get it before it happens. And this, you know, this is where it starts at using, um, you know, these type of, these, these type of tools and drugs, you know? So I think um, if there's clubs that, you know, if they're nervous about getting, uh, on top of this because they're like, oh, well, they're a big time player. We can't really bring them out because then they'll stop playing footy um, and we'll lose our memberships or our, you know, that's where I can think it, um, where it's coming from. But <clears throat> we need, we need the, we need the players to be comfortable first to talk to people. And that's the biggest thing because um, if they're not talking to people uh, that are at the right levels, then how are we supposed, how's the club supposed to act on it? So, we do, we do have things in place. We've got welfare officers now that are in every club, um, but they need to make sure they're accountable for that as well. And that's not a, that's not an easy job, those welfare roles. You know, they're, they're taxing it themselves. So I could imagine, you know, the people that are in those roles are doing it tough, but you've got to make sure you act on things quickly. If players say something, you, you can't let it, you can't let it just bypass. You've got to act really quite fast. You did mention at one point, uh, you know, your lowest point where you were suicidal yourself, mate. Who was the the people that helped you get out of that dark period? Oh, look, I couldn't single out anyone singly. Um, obviously, my family. I'm, I'm so close with my family, um, but my immediate friends as well. Um, and I'm talking about my mates who I've known since I was, you know, high school. Uh, I've still got a friend. I've still got a mate that I've known since grade one. Um, I don't know many people. Who, I'm preschool, sorry. I don't know many people who have those have those mates, and those those guys keep me grounded. So I keep them pretty close, and they tell me the, the truth when I need the truth. So um, those people were the ones that got me through it. You know, they, they never get seen in the limelight to do that. You know, um, it's always the boys at the club who are the people that you know always are seen to help, and they are they do as well. I'm not taking anything away from them, but you know, when I go home. Um, it's my close family and close friends that that um, make sure that uh, I'm doing good. Mate, uh, post-football, obviously, um, you managed to land a gig at the Broncos and, um, you know, you did a lot of fantastic things in the community there. From a from, from a personal side for me, I think the, the greatest thing to watch you do during that time, and as I said, personally, it means a lot to me from where I'm sitting, what I do with my um, social media and whatnot. It was the extra content that you brought to rugby league and to the Broncos, especially. Do you feel like you sort of started a, a bit of a change there? Yeah, well, you know what? It's funny you say that, Nath, because that's what I wanted to do. Yep. You know, I wanted to create that content 
the digital I wanted the digital world to take off and we knew that there was a space like you have a look at it now look what we're doing right now look look what so many people are doing but you know I think about you know 17 18 I started doing this and putting into places um, things like this about um, having digital content at the Broncos um, and you know for a good three or three and a half four years of my life I was a content producer at the club and I was happy doing that I was doing we were doing live uh, shows from you know from from uh, the Broncos headquarters with Sammy Thida you know um, I was doing great stuff I was doing the podcast so yeah look it's 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 something that um i'm glad i did because it shows that we have another uh we have another tour to us us rugby league players we're not just buffheads and we we don't just play footy you know we've got something else that we can do and um over the years don't get me wrong i, I was terrible i was terrible at this stuff i was so bad you look at some of my first interviews i was so bad so yeah to to say that um I helped for you to say that I helped grow this a little bit, you know, it makes me feel good. I mean, you know, when Kempi first started um, bloke in a bar, you know, in locker room a long time ago, you know, I was there to help him first start some of that stuff. And we still talk about that now and look how far, you know, look at, look at yourself, look how far he's come. You know, it's, it's great to see that, um, you know, just larrikins and blokes like yourself can, can do this kind of stuff and, 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 and let fans enjoy it because, um, that's basically all I wanted to do was give back to the fans at the Broncos and, and give them a little bit of a insight and, um, you know, what it looks like to be a footy player inside the club and still players is a little bit standoffish, but, um, you know, if I got a little bit more time there, obviously I'm not there at the moment, but, um, you know, uh, if I had a little bit more time, um, I would have tried to get the boys a little bit more on side with this stuff because this is, this is not only, you know, they're not only just playing footy now, this, this stuff is, is paramount to the game as well. Oh, mate, and I think like rugby league, we're a very, uh, we're a very cynical bunch. And I think that what you did at the Broncos, I think that, you know, when you first got that gig, I, I think it was almost viewed as like a sort of a job for the boys. You know, we sort of get that opinion in rugby league. And I think you, yep. you slowly lifted the lid on just how important social media, branding, all these things are. I mean, could you imagine the amount of memberships that would come into the Brisbane Broncos each and every year if all 30 of those blokes would get behind the camera, would chat to them, would do their Instagram lives? Like for me, I think it is the absolute future. And I think clubs they're just scratching the surface on what they can do yeah 100 percent. you're so right like i think about when i'm a fan right i'm not only just a fan of the bronx but i'm a gooner i'm an arsenal fan i've been an arsenal fan since i was 10 years old man i'm a massive soccer fan and you know i still don't think clubs over there in the premier league have scratched the surface yet you know i want to see more personal stuff you know and um you know that means that means players, uh, you know, going through their daily routines. I want to see cameras follow them to the get like NFL do it really well. Um, you know, the, the, the NBA do it really well. Um, so yeah, the more we can, we can delve into that deeper and deeper as an organization in the NRL. Like we, we, we I think what we are scared of as a, is trying to stay too traditional. Sometimes we get nervous of being too traditional. We're always going to have traditionalness in, in this game because it's the NRL. It's rugby league. We're never going to go away from that. So, yeah, I, I think we need to just take some risks. If, if things don't work, then just take a step back. But the fan, you know, you and me, like, I'm a fan now. I want to see all the behind-the-scenes stuff. I want to feel like I know my favourite player. That's, that's how I want to see it. That's how I tried to do it at the Broncos. Mate, the, the hardest thing for me to watch last year was 
the first two weeks, Brisbane, uh, they come in, they come to training dressed up in their clothes. It's all over social media. How good's this? It's fantastic. The Penrith Panthers do the same thing. Um, Brisbane Broncos, they start to lose games and, I mean, everyone wants to pin it back on those sort of events, whereas the Penrith Panthers, they keep winning games and, you know, it's the best thing ever. It's great. I guarantee you, if the Penrith Panthers get to round five this year and they've won one game, everyone's going to be saying, hey, 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 why are they dancing around? Why are they dressing up? Why are we seeing the sheds after the game? What's going on here? It is just, it's the most predictable script you could ever see coming, isn't it? 100%. 100%. And look, this is a game... You're gonna be you're gonna be scrutinised no matter what you do. If you're losing footy games, you're gonna get scrutinised no matter what. You can be you can be the Melbourne Storm. You start losing a game, they'll say, "Oh, they've lost it. It's the end of an era." Blah blah blah. You know, you can already see the headlines. So predictable. The media is predictable. Um, you know, for all the people out there listening, don't be predictable. You know, be if you're a fan and you're a member and you're a you're a big fan of your club, stay stay strong to the you know stay loyal to the soil that's what i like to say stay loyal to the soil and 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 be a bronc if you're a broncos fan be a broncos fan don't don't be fake don't don't jump in and out um because i don't want people jumping in and out when we're going through hard times we 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 needed our members last year and you know i I, i'm not i'm not afraid to say but there's a lot of people that that jumped off the bandwagon they jumped right right off and you know what I'm a Bronco, mate, through and through. I'll be a Bronco till I die, and I'll back these boys no matter what. I'll back Kevy, and, um, yeah, I think we've got to be a bit more loyal. Mate, speaking of your Broncos, uh, I know you're an honest guy, and I know you want nothing but the best for the club. I want you to tell me, um, a kid making their debut in 2021 for the Brisbane Broncos, how is it different than 11 years ago, 12 years ago, when you made your debut? What has changed at that club in the last... 18 months, two, three years, whatever you think it is. Look, I think um, for me, uh, it's it's getting back to being that, I know this word gets thrown around a lot, but having that culture, like <laughs> having that Broncos culture, like I can't speak highly enough of when I walked into a room um, with players and I just felt that aura. Um, I, I, I urge these young boys to, to jump on that, you know, walk in, be, you know, be proud that you're a Bronco. Be so proud that you're a Bronco. And look, they probably are, you know, um, they, they probably are. I don't, I don't know how they're feeling right now, but I, 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 all I want is the best from them. It's a little bit different to back when I was playing because, you know, when I, when I talk about players, you know, just the, the, the caliber of players that I had when I was coming through was, I was just so lucky. And they, those players were at the pinnacle of their careers. So, you know, at the moment, it's hard to say any of our older boys, unfortunately, that's, it's, it's not there. It's not no one's fault. It's just, unfortunately, they're not at their pinnacle of their careers. Um, so, you know, they might think a little bit different um, when they walk in a locker room, but I've got full faith in what they believe in, in their, you know, their values at the club. I, I highly believe that Kevin Walters is, is the right man for the job. I, I believe that he brings something to the Broncos that um, no other coach could have. So yeah, it's a, sorry, my dogs are playing up. Um, it's um, yeah, there's nothing, nothing that more than I want from success from that club. And I know that Kevin and the team that he brings um, will do every time I talk to Kevin, he's so passionate about that place. And, that's going to that's gonna really rub off uh, if he keeps being like that. 
Mate, uh, I know I'm a little bit biased because I've always been a big fan of him. I know you're good mates with him, so you're probably a little bit biased as well. But for me, watching the Brisbane Broncos let Andrew McCulloch go twice in a year's time, considering the situation they're in, I just I look at this club and I, I, I look at Alex Glenn, and to me, he's one of the few guys in this club that understands what it is to be a Bronco. The other guy was Andrew McCulloch, and... I simply cannot believe he's been shown the door twice. That has absolutely rocked me. Yeah, it's it's look, it's not. And you know what, Mac is a class act, mate. He's a class act. He's um, he'll you know what, he's just a toiler. He'll 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 work hard at the Dragons and he'll do his best to play his best footy. But uh, you know, I can't say that. Um, sit here and say that I know that he's not a little bit upset that he's had to leave. Um, because I know him personally. Mm. I think the blow makes it a little bit better that he's got Hunty down there, his best mate. <laughs> you know, it makes it a little bit easier. He's got Hook as well. Uh, he's got Normie. He's got Tarek, Taz, Sims there, Tarek Sims on there as well. So, and the other dynamic is making sure that his wife's happy. So I know Carly, and I know Brid- I know Carly very well, Amaka's wife and Bridget, Hunty's wife. They're good mates. So it, it, it fits for him. So he's lucky in that sense um, because it could have been a lot worse, but Amaka, and I know he wanted to retire at that club. I know he wanted to be, you know, before he went to Newcastle, he wanted to stay at that club. So, yeah, um, all I can say is I know it's nobody's fault, but the people behind the scenes at the Broncos, you know, that's whose fault it is. It's the people at the top. It's um, whoever's running the footy department there. Um, uh, at first, in the in, in the instance, um, yeah, because for me, Mac is a Broncos legend and always will be. Mate, I agree with you 100%. And as I said before, I think I think understanding what a Bronco is, it, it's a definite thing. And for me, I look around this league and, you know, if you, if you don't want Andrew McCulloch in the building, I mean, geez, Carmichael Hunt is sitting up there in Queensland Cup at the moment. Even if he doesn't play a game, I just think a guy like him, the experience he's had at the Broncos, uh, he's a guy that's made a heap of mistakes. Let's be honest here. He's learnt from them. He's, he has got ahead of himself a couple of times during his career. I just think they've got a wealth of experience sitting up there that, I mean, the Magpies are using him up there. Jeez, I think he could be so much better utilised within those four walls up at Brisbane. Well, look, I, I had actually had a chat with him on uh, my brekkie show on 98.9 and, uh, you know, I spoke to him about what, you know, what he wanted to get out of going back playing rugby league. And um, his biggest one is he wants to coach. Um, and what we're missing is, you know, a bit of that, um, you know, old head at the Broncos. So you're right. Um, I I don't see why, you know, we, we couldn't use him in some way or form um, at the club, especially with the likes of Jermaine Asako, Tessie New, who are still at heart rookie fullbacks, um, you know, and I know, I know, I know Jermaine's played a few um, years, but he could still learn a lot and anyone could, but he's still very young, you know, and I think having the likes of Kay, um, would really help. So you might be onto something there. And look, uh, the only other thing that would deter Carmichael away from that is he talks to Wayne very regularly. And we know, <laughs> we sort of know the, the rift between the Broncos and Wayne at the moment. So um, if there's any, if there's any uh, advice Wayne's given, okay, it's don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I, I just think there, there isn't a single guy in first grade right now that couldn't learn a lesson, uh, learn a lesson from Carmichael Hunt and, Mate, I'm confident there's 30 blokes training up there at, at Red Hill that could definitely learn a few lessons from him. Well, look, put it this way. If Kay turns up tomorrow training, I mean, I can tell you, 
Well, we talk about that aura in the dressing room. There's your aura. Mate, tell me yeah. people aren't sitting up straighter. People aren't going harder when Carmichael hunts there. And you know what? Uh, Kay's a guy who, when it comes down to training and business, he means business. I'm on, not going to lie to you. Means business. And then when it's time to enjoy himself and have a beer, he knows he knows the time to flick off. But he was a great – he was a, he was one of the best trainers. Um, and, yeah, he you could see that because it really, it really oozed on the field. Darrell, mate, I really appreciate your time. Um, I'm I'm selfishly glad uh, that your career has gone the way it has because you have, as I said, and people probably won't understand it unless you're in the space that we're in with social media, you really have laid a platform for plenty of people to come through after you, myself included. It started to change the dynamics and um, the, the dynamics of rugby league, they are like cement. It takes so long to change these things and you were the, you were one of the first guys to be chipping away at it for me and as I said selfishly you know I'm glad it's gone that way but also devastated that your career didn't pan out the way it should have uh, I, I still wish I was watching you play each and every weekend mate but I love how open and honest you are about it I think you're doing did great things on the field what you're doing off it though I think it's blowing it out of the park to be honest with you mate yeah. so I appreciate your time yeah, thank you so much for for letting me come on, and um, very humbling to hear you know you hear you say that. And um, look, I look forward to um, you know what's happening next in life. Like I said, I'm, I've been lucky and blessed to play with some of the best, do anything, everything, and everything in the game. Um, but hey, my chapter's not over. Um, stay tuned because I've got a lot more to give, mate. Without a doubt, fatherhood's just kicked off. I'm so excited for you, mate. Yeah, thank you so much. The endless nights of sleep are looking awesome so far. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not jealous, but I'm excited for you, no doubt. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, legend. Thanks, brother. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 